Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. On this week's episode, we're starting a new series on the show called our Collector Profile Series. And we're lucky enough to have on the show this week at More Watches from Instagram. Now, at More Watches has an unbelievable vintage Rolex collection, and you all should check it out as soon as possible. But on the show this week, we start off with talking about Sea Dwellers, and then we go into the connection of how we all met, and a little bit about Matt at Richter and Phillips Jewelers. Then he has a great story about a big crown that he recently purchased, and then he dives into where to go for knowledge, as well as his expertise in the vintage field, and then we sort of go into a little bit of a rant about bezels. It's going to be a great episode, so sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. Well, welcome everybody to episode 21 of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. Uh, we have with us today a special guest who uh, I met at Red Bar Cincinnati back in January, although he is from Indianapolis. It's, uh, it's a friend of uh, a local friend here uh, at More Watches. So, uh, Steve, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. No, it's it's a pleasure. Uh, you know, we 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 met briefly at the uh, Red Bar Cincinnati uh, meetup back in January. I, I know you've got a a mutual friend uh, acquaintance who uh, who lives and works here in the Cincinnati area who may uh, you know may end up uh, getting referenced here later in the show uh, when it comes to some of your watches. But uh, it was great meeting you there, and we're we're really excited to have you on the show. I think it's going to be a really good conversation. Oh, I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So um, we usually start with a, a wrist check and a drink check. So since uh, you're with us today, Steve, why don't you go ahead and, and go first? Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm actually uh, watch less at the moment, or at least not wearing one. Uh, I have some here, but uh, several are getting serviced right now and repaired uh, actually by our, uh, uh, our Cincinnati friend. So nothing's on my wrist, a, a rarity uh, from a guy <laughs> who sometimes will exchange or change watches multiple times a day. Um, <laughs> Uh, so nothing on the wrist at the moment. I was earlier wearing a, uh, a 5512 matte dial uh, from about 1967 uh, earlier, but uh, for some reason I took it off and and uh, and other the stuff I have is uh, I think three of the watches I have are down down in Cincinnati at the moment. So and what oh, am I nice. drinking? Um, I, I, I am uh, equal opportunity uh, tonight. I'm actually having uh, a very nice red uh, cab, which is. Uh, a little highbrow for me, but uh, uh, it's it's, uh, it's what I'm having, so I'm very much enjoying that right now. Very nice, Buzzy. What have you got? Uh, I I'll, I'm just going to start by saying that not wearing a watch because your watches are getting serviced is <laughs> that's that's high that's upper echelon watch <laughs> enthusiast because yes, my watches actually have to get serviced. They don't just get get a battery. You know, yeah, uh, I like that. I like that. Very strong. All right. So because our podcast, 21 episodes, episodes were years, and I'm sure some of these episodes seemed like it took an entire year to get through. This thing would be old enough to drink. That's right. All right. So I am going to step it up a little bit tonight. I am putting down my Costco whiskey and enjoying a nice Laphroaig. Yeah, delicious Isla Scotch whiskey. Uh, the only downside to it is I don't know what score the Beverage Tasting Institute gave it. <laughs> is that the, the the very peaty, like almost an upsetting taste? Yes. It, this, <laughs> the, this is the one that printed right on, I forget whether it's the bottle you know, has a quote from someone that says it's like uh, kissing a mermaid that just ate barbecue. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> it's it, it's intense. So so Costco has a they carry a, a high dollar Lafroig. Nice. It's like it's like in the case, like don't touch it. It's like, like five hundred bucks. The Invictus. <laughs> right, right. It's right, next, yeah. it's right next to it. No, they 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 sell like a limited. Uh, like a like a like a high year, um, at least the one up by my home does. So um, nice. A great, friend of, a great friend of mine drinks it, so that's that's the only way I know. <laughs> yeah, the 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 one downside of Ohio is uh, our Costco doesn't actually sell booze, so I have to go to adjacent states to get it. But oh, wow. uh, yeah, that's 
Uh, that's why I'm drinking tonight. And on my wrist, uh, just like the last episode, got the Oris Divers 65 chronograph. It's got a uh, bronze bezel. It's nice inky black um, dial with matte uh, sub-registers, right? Uh, two two sub-registers. I'll go into more detail in a later episode. Uh, the domed sapphire crystal is just excellent. It, it's pretty, pretty great. And uh, I'm going to leave it at that. Evan, what what are you drinking and what are you wearing? Well, you know, I'm a, uh, I guess I'm drinking sort of a cocktail tonight. So uh, I've got my Lavette 12 and we uh, have had these uh, no, Nocino or Nocino walnut liqueur um, that my girlfriend just got probably forever ago and we've just now started to drink it. Um, so I've mixed those two together and it's a, uh, it kind of looks, if you guys can see it, it uh, looks kind of like a, a Coke brown so uh, not very uh, not very appetizing, but it's, uh, it tastes pretty good. Um, so yeah, I, you know, if any can, if anybody can find the the Nocino uh, walnut liqueur, I, I highly recommend it. Um, but on the wrist is uh, my Grand Seiko SBGK 005, which you know I, I think it's almost my one month anniversary with this watch, and I still haven't really talked about it on the podcast. Um, but we'll save that for a later episode. Um, but yeah, I've got it on a. I think the website's called a curated wrist beads of rice bracelet, um, which I just ordered another one. And hopefully my uh, factory Grand Seiko bracelet will be here within hopefully a month. But uh, yeah, that's what I'm drinking. That's what's on my wrist. Uh, Spence, what about you? What are you, what are you drinking? What are you, what are you wearing? So I killed my bottle of Eagle Rare uh, a few nights ago. Um, and I'm actually, you know, Steve mentioned he's known to wear a couple of watches a day at times. Um, I'm actually on my third watch of the day. So uh, <laughs> earlier I had on the Oris Big Crown Pro Pilot X, uh, which working through a, a week on the wrist there, going to probably write a little bit of an article that I don't know exactly where we'll post it, but it'll get up out in the internet somewhere at some point. Um, but then uh, we ran to the store and we're going on a walk and I was going to be getting a stroller in and out of the out of the car for the kids. And I was like, yeah, I probably don't want to wear the loner watch that's in titanium for that. So I put on my G-Shock, uh, the Cassie Yoke that I got recently. Um, and then because I knew we'd be talking about Rolex tonight uh, to change to come down to the basement to record, I put on my uh, on my Hulk, which I've got on the Everest strap for uh, the summer. So that's what I'm wearing. And then uh, I am drinking. Did I say what I was drinking already? I don't think I did. No. I didn't. No. Yeah. Um, I took some of Spangler's advice, which is uh, very rare that I would do that. But uh, <laughs> Shocking, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, drinking the Centauri Toki whiskey, which, um, like you said, is more it goes more towards the scotches and the bourbons, but it doesn't have that really strong scotchy aftertaste. So it drinks really smoothly. Um, and I've polished off more of this bottle than I would expect after only having it for less than a week. So uh that's a really easy drinker. So that's what I'm uh, drinking and that's what I'm wearing. So now that we got that out of the way, uh, Steve, um, have you on the podcast. Uh, and, and I, you know, those of us who follow you on Instagram know you're a big vintage Rolex collector. Uh, so I kind of just want to know what got you started, why vintage and why Rolex? Yeah. And, you know, I got started in, in, in Rolex kind of by accident and honestly out of a little bit of vanity, you know, it's, it's sort of the status thing. And, and I'd had a bunch of stuff uh, that I'd put on eBay and sold non-watch related. Uh, and up until that point, I think the nicest watch I had was probably my Timex or my Casio that I had on uh, just for, you know, that you'd wear just for proper timekeeping. And it was on my wrist all the time. One of those two watches. Um, but I sold a bunch of stuff. And I made about $1,800 or $1,900. And at the time, you could get uh, a sub-date, so sort of the, the edition before the ceramic like you have. Uh, and this one in particular that I bought with some of this eBay money and some, of, some extra money was uh, from 1991. And so aluminum bezel, uh, you know, sub-date, so the reference 16610, uh, if you're curious or interested, uh, very nice watch. Loved it. I thought I was really important when I, when I, you know, now I have a Rolex, right? Now I'm, now I'm important. 
Uh, and we, we know that that's not the truth, but I kind of went from Casio Timex, which are great watches into this sub date. This is several years ago. Um, so <laughs> my dog's saying hi. Uh, <laughs> so that, that, that was kind of the start. So I quickly went, I, I'm always curious about the history of things. And so, you know, one of the things that people often do is, you know, what were watches like the year I was born? And so I got into, you know, kind of the watch that, that, that falls into that category that I was most interested in was a, a sea dweller. And so I quickly went from a almost a $4,000 watch to I think my first vintage was, was that and it was $10,000. Uh, I almost puked when I bought it. <laughs> um, but it was it was so you, you go in if you if you have the least bit interest in history uh, or or sort of the the stories that go along with watches, you you always sort of jump back into the past. And so that's what got me into vintage was wondering what were watches like when I was born. Uh, and that was really kind of the gateway into the into the vintage. And it really just went from there. Um, and it's, it's, you know, lots of hours on, this is before Instagram, but lots of hours online, just reading, um, reading about these watches and the different types and, um, and, you know, meeting people online to sort of, you know, feed that addiction. If you don't mind me asking what, uh, what reference was the seed oil they bought? Yeah. So, uh, it was, a a Mark one. Uh, great white 1665. So, um, it's, was a, was a, the first of the, <laughs> and now I have a squeaky toy. Um, it's the, <laughs> the, the, the first of the white dialed sea dwellers. So helium escape valve, which really a uh, quick side kind of sidebar on that is the helium escape valve is basically a way for it to burp out helium. So as, as helium um, uh, atoms build up, or, or atoms molecule builds up in the, in the case, because um, it can permeate the crystal, uh, interestingly enough, and then it builds up pressure. It can, and when it needs to sort of escape, it can literally burp that out, uh, out the side. So it has a, there's a, a tiny leaf spring like you'd see on an old truck. There's a gasket and there's a, um, I believe it's a titanium little valve. And so it'll just burp that out and it keeps the crystals from popping off. So yeah, so isn't, that what the, isn't that the issue that they were having at C-Lab uh, that they were, as they were decompressing, the crystals would pop off? Yeah, C-Lab and then um, also Comex, right? So the gear, mm -hmm. Comex gear is still used today at Rolex to test um, Rolex watches, submarine like uh, dive watches. So, um, but yeah, so that was that was the reference number. Um, I had it for a great while, and then I I had a bunch of sixteen sixty five whites, and I sold those, and I bought double reds, uh, which is the same reference but uh, more expensive uh, <laughs> and, and, and earlier, right? Uh, so I had a um, I had a sixty seven, I had a. 73 and I think a 77 double red sea dweller. So a Mark two, a Mark three and a Mark four double red. Have you ever had the single red? Uh, no, those are like a million dollars. So yeah, th there are, there is a single red. Uh, if you've seen photos, uh, there was one, a prototype uh, found actually purchased in Florida. I don't know for how much, but I heard a rumor that it was then sold to a big collector for about a million dollars. Wow. Okay. Like, I mean, and the guy wears it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, no, I had, I had a, a Mark two was a uh, tropical dial and it's known as a thin case. Cause the early ones, the cases were actually 1680 cases, which is 1680 is the, is the sub date, uh, that's, that doesn't have an HEV. So yeah, it's a, and sorry for the background noise. I, I have my, one of my, my best friends, my dog Kemp, uh, he is so excited right now that I'm on this podcast that he did uh, laps down in the basement, <laughs> bringing, me, bringing me a new toy 
uh, every couple of minutes, and he's he's kind of nuts. So apologies. Uh, oh no yeah. worries. Spangler's dogs on quite often. I think my dog has made an appearance before. Uh, <laughs> this is a very dog friendly podcast. <laughs> Good, perfect, perfect. So yes, yeah, so that that's the the leap from you know looking at early '90s watches, which I think are still kind of a great value, into uh, matte dial. Uh, older vintage, so four-digit reference watches instead of five, and of course today we're in the six-digit, right? So your your uh, your Hulk is uh, uh, is six-digit. So I, mm-hmm. I believe it was it one one. Uh, yeah, so it's, a, it's instead of one six six, it's one one six six one zero. Yep, uh, LV uh, LV for Lunet Verde. Yeah, uh, uh, which is yeah effectively green. Um, so it's, so, uh, and so you go from, you know, the, the four to the five to the six digit. So Steve, what's the, uh, connection to Cincinnati? Could you explain to the listeners, uh, uh, how, how we know you? Yeah. So, well, a couple of things. So I, um, I bought, it's kind of a, a fun story. I bought a 2998 uh, from a great friend of mine. And that watch had had an issue mechanically. And uh, a, a friend of, of, of ours and a, a guest uh, of the show had, had worked on it. It's an, uh, obviously an, an old Omega 321 movement. Uh, it was not correct. Uh, there was an issue with it. He worked on it and then when I bought the watch from my friend, um, it, it was okay mechanically, but there was one of the sub dials that was kind of wonky and I didn't know, uh, Matt, uh, but I had got his email or maybe his phone number and pinged him and said, Hey, I, I think you've worked on this at some point. Uh, you know, could you, you know, you did a nice job with it. I, you know, you know, vintage, you understand the watch. Would you take care of it again? And he was, he was awesome. And so that was the intro. Um, and, and since then he's helped me many, many times with a variety of watches. And, uh, I think the way that, you know, it's mentioned kind of earlier, the way that I'm, uh, met kind of your crew is, um, I came down and had, uh, uh had a great time at, at Red Bar in Cincy, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year. So all of that, the connection with Matt, and then obviously then the follow on is kind of how we all then met up, but that's the the intro to Cincy. Um, one funny thing about that watch is I think we've all had this happen in our life. I'm not necessarily an Omega guy, but I was in Chicago at a red bar. So I've been to I think, four red bars ever, uh, two in Indy, one in Chicago. And, and, uh, of course one in Cincinnati. And there's a gentleman there that I won't say his name, but he was quite young and quite successful. Uh, he, he created, as I understand it, like a day trading algorithm and sold it. And this 2998 was a watch that he bought with some of that, the proceeds, which was considerable. And soon he figured out that he wanted more expensive watches. And this 2998 wasn't nice enough. Now, <laughs> is amazing. It's, it's, for those that aren't familiar, it's a straight lug Omega chronograph, uh, kind of a pre-Ed White so after the 2915, but before the Ed White, uh, has a lollipop um, chronograph hand. It's technically it's a 2998-3. And when I saw it, I was like, this is amazing. I, I, I have to have one of these. I don't know what it is, but I know I love it. And I've been able to trace it back. So this guy had it. My buddy bought it. I bought it for my friend. There's many years in between all this. But the funny thing is, is this guy actually bought it from Ben Clymer. <laughs> uh, and I was able to validate that as, as any good, you know, watch sleuth is uh, to go back and sort of look at old videos and old interviews with Ben. It's actually in uh, two of the videos. Oh, wow. And <laughs> even the goofy watch strap. So I, I added a proper bracelet. Uh, to it because it, it was head only but even i even have the bra- or the, the strap that's that's this weird sort of cream and strange orange stitching uh on the side but um but yeah it was it was ben and when ben had it, it had a different bezel on it um that's been improved or you know found a, a period correct bezel that was nicer looking 
but uh, yeah, so it's sort of um, a little, a little baby, tiny piece of Ben Clymer is with me. Today. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe and, that strap had on and uh, matched one of his sweaters. I it might have matched uh, a multitude of sweaters that he wears concurrently. <laughs> uh, uh, it always amazes me uh, how higher end watch collectors love to layer. Uh, all the shit that they wear around with it's you know it's a jacket and another jacket and a jacket under that and a sweater and a collared shirt and another collared shirt under that and some sequins and some other you know just (laughs) extra you gotta have a lot of protection when you're uh wearing your 6263s or 6264s or whatever daytona's you know right right it yeah, there's, it probably did some good peacocking with Ben. Uh, just sort of, you know, show your show your feathers and anyway. No, I yeah. I, I think that that um, it is sort of neat. I mean, that's not why I bought the watch. I bought it. You know, the the thing that's cool about it, any watch, whether you're talking about a five hundred dollar watch or 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 a five thousand or above that, is we mentally assign these these experiences and these, these, these are aspirational things, right? Our phone tells the time, but with that comes a story. So I didn't buy it because Ben owned it. I kind of like it that a little more that he, you know, but I didn't know that it was his early on. I found that out after I already owned it. Um, but it's, it's special. And, uh, you know, that's what makes this a little extra fun. Uh, and so it's, uh, um, that and a good friend of mine owned it. Uh, so there's sort of a, a kind of, and, and it's a cool, it's a badass watch and that, and I credit the watch too. It's, it's to, to your earlier question. That's how I met, how I met, met Matt, which is truthfully, uh, and I don't, I don't glad hand, uh, for those that, that know me is one of my favorite people. Yeah. So, uh, that's, that's the great thing that, that, uh, that watches can sometimes do for us. Uh, they introduce us to people and, uh, um, they're there they can be a window into uh you know some, the, the prior owner you, know, you think about who used to wear it and i think about who's gonna wear it after i'm gone which is cool yeah that's definitely a neat thing i mean you, and you've talked a little bit about some of the connections you made obviously matt um and some of the other people you've you've kind of brushed elbows with um when we were initially talking about doing this podcast you mentioned a very interesting story um, about, I think it's the big crown that Matt's actually working on right now. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. there's a pretty interesting story that involves, uh, a, a trip, an Indy car driver and a couple of other things. So that, uh, that one seems a little bit interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's going to sound like horseshit. Uh, but I, <laughs> but I, I swear to anyone listening that it is a hundred percent the truth. It's, it is a an interesting thing. Uh, I, as we collect, we we begin to learn more about other types of watches, and we decide that we, you know, sometimes may even want to consolidate. So you go, and I had a you know numerically a huge vintage collection, and I went and decided to sell some of those off in order to fund a kind of an impossible goal. Like I never thought I'd actually find a big crown that I that I could afford and that that I liked enough and. Cause it's, and it can take, you know, the, the experts quote unquote told me it could be years to find one. That's not, you know, that, that, cause there's so few of them. Right. And, and, and not to find one that's going to sort of break the bank that, you know, and so I happen to be helping a, a friend of mine who he, he's a, a big watch collector collector. And that's how I met him. Um, and he was having a technical issue that I won't go into, but a, a, a computer problem, let's say. Uh, and I was helping him out. And in the midst of the chat, I said, Hey, I'm looking for a big crown, by the way. And he said, Oh, you know, uh, I just saw photos of one a couple weeks back <laughs> that looked pretty interesting. Um, and so I said, no way like this, this can't be, this, this, this can't be a thing. Um, and so the, the friend of mine is, uh, is, he's an Indy car driver and he's probably the only famous person I know. Um, and I don't know anything about racing, but he, he's a wonderful man. Uh, he's, he's very humble. Uh, so someone who's had the success he's had, he's, he's, you know, he, he, he's extremely kind, but anyway, so he tells me about this watch and the pictures are kind of blurry, but they look pretty nice. And then the, the, 
the meantime, you know, you for those that got a brief introduction, I'm very much a dog person. And at the time, um, so I'd sold off a bunch of my stuff. And in order to put together the war chest, which we've all done before to buy another kind of grail watch. And uh, he shows me these photos. I was helping him with a problem. He shows me the photos. It's a friend of a friend of his. And uh, it's over in, in outside of, of London, but it's like two train rides outside of London. So it's like 45 minutes worth of train rides outside of London. In the midst of this, um, my dog, uh, Dakota, was one of my very best friends. I, I miss her terribly. Uh, she passed on. Yeah. And she passed on, a, I believe it was a Tuesday. And I think Wednesday I flew to London. I was like, fuck this, let's go. <laughs> and, uh, and so we go there and, and you land and then you take two trains to this kind of this village and uh, a little shop had it and they knew what they had because I, I paid a fortune, but they, but I think they undervalued, they, they didn't quite know how rare uh, what it was. And so the cool thing about this ended up being a 5510. And it's a big crown. There's two types of big crowns. This is the later of the two. The beauty of the big crown that's the 5510 hmm. is that it had the kind of the 1500 uh, series movement in it, which that movement was used, I think, until like 77 or 78. Wow. So it's so it had a huge run. So this is a 1958 watch. Before that, it was a 1000 base movement. And so a very, it's, it's an older version. So this is sort of the, the uh, watch that was made in probably two or 300 of them. Uh, some say up to 600, but that's a very small run if you think of the, the production value. So anyway, I see this watch. I, I, I look at it. It's, it's on my Instagram page. The dial ends up being brown, which is a favorable thing for a vintage mm-hmm. watch. No circles. Uh, I end up buying it and, and I fly home. But yeah, it, it involved a... Again, I, I don't want to, I, I didn't get clearance. I, I didn't even ask uh, to even tell the story, but helping Scott with a problem, he tells me, uh, uh, you know, I then go get this. And, uh, and, and it took about 30 days from the, from the time I decided to buy a big crown, maybe 60 days until I bought one, which many big collectors might spend two or three years. And so it's, it was kind of a rare thing. Um, uh, you know, I guess I'll say it. so. Somebody, so somebody hacked a, a a social media profile, or at least <laughs> obtained access to. So I was helping resolve that, or discussing options with that with uh, with Scott. Which uh, congratulations to him. He just won Texas. Uh, I, I do know enough enough about racing for that. But, <laughs> but no, it was a great. It, it was it was an amazing time, and um, and so that watch now holds a, an even more special place in my heart. Because it reminds me of Dakota. I think of the story. I think about how I, I learned of it. I think about taking a, a, a long flight, two long flights, and uh, two train rides just to go see it, which is completely absurd. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and all that. And and then, by the way, so Matt's actually, um, uh, our, our friend Matt is, he actually just sent me a video just probably two hours ago. Uh, showing me it's it's been reassembled and has been serviced and is all better now. So uh, uh, a good time to talk about it, I guess. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping for a meetup soon at a RMP so I can maybe uh, see this bad boy in the flesh. <laughs> Which I maybe wishful th- thinking. I don't really know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, might might have a chance to see it uh, sooner than later. But yeah, I, I did bring it. Uh, it was it. Uh, I think I brought it to Red Bar. I think yeah. I I've definitely seen that one, and I think you had the uh, the the two nine nine eight with you for as well for sure. And I think there were there were a couple of other cool pieces as well. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, you know, I mean, I, one of the other things I know we we kind of talk about is you know I think some of us want to know you you have this kind of depth of knowledge. I mean, you you were kind of talking about your area of, of quote unquote expertise, the area that you think is the most interesting to you in Rolex history. And I think you said it was late fifties to what mid seventies. Yeah. I mean, so it's different for any vintage person that's going to have kind of a window of time. And, and I, you said expertise, which, which flirts closely with expert. I'm not an expert in anything, especially even the things I'm paid to, to know, I, I would never use the term expert. 
Um, but it's, but I tend to hyper-focus on things. And I, I think the most interesting window of time um, does a couple of things. I think it's in that 58 or 59, you know, 58 is the introduction of the, uh, of the uh, 1500 base movement, which is um, an amazing platform on which to build a watch. 59 is, is sort of the, the first time you'll see a modern looking uh, sub. So what, what would be the case size and crown guards and sort of the DNA that you'd find even in a sub from the nineties, let's say, or early two thousands even. But my favorite is probably 58 or 59. And then uh, the, my, my, the window actually from that to 1963, there was the most interesting stuff going on in vintage Rolex um, in terms of innovation, uh, dial changes, all these interesting things um, that they're trying to figure out what luminescent to use. They're trying to figure out what shape of the crown guard, what shape of the chamfer, what type of bracelet. Is it is it is it a is it a stretch rivet? Uh, <laughs> is it is it a Swiss made? Is it is it like so? All these interesting things, all these dial variations. You know, you you and they're they're playing with uh, lowering the level of radium. They're working on adding tritium to the mix. Uh, if you expand that window and go into like sixty seven, right now they're 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 playing with other mm -hmm. formulas. There's a, there's a small window of time when they used zinc. Um, I think it's zinc sulfate. I probably messed that up, but it's zinc something where it has kind of a greenish hue to it. Uh, and they got rid of that very quickly. And so there's, there's all this experimentation that you see out of Rolex, which is phenomenal. Um, and digging into that is, is it, to me, for many, it's absurd. But for me, as a source of, um, uh, I get pleasure out of, researching that and understanding it it's it's kind of how the hobby partially pays me to to like i don't get paid but the enjoyment that you get out of the hobby is like getting paid is the way i look at it right so it's people pay for enjoyment whether that's getting drunk whether it's going to a, a sporting event whatever that is right whatever your idea of a party is well some of my version of party is is this is this research and looking at you know what is the history of this kind of you're sort of a historian uh, collector in a way. Well, I mean, talking about like vintage Rolex, like we all know that you uh, started your, there, there's a group, if you, if they follow your Instagram, they, they would have seen uh, that you're a part of this group called NABS or N-A-A-B-S. Um, would you mind talking a little bit yeah, about sure. that? Yeah, sure. So again, like every answer I give, there's, there's five layers to unpack this. It's like the, you know, the movie Inception. Um, <laughs> So getting into collecting, especially Rolex, is expensive and it's scary. And because it's expensive and scary, we have to make wise decisions. We have to have people we go to for uh, advice. And you probably don't know other Rolex collectors in, that you're good friends with. So you've got to go to the Internet. And pre-Instagram, uh, the forums were the place to go. And so... Through this mechanism, you'd reach out. You sort of made online friends, as nerdy as that is. <laughs> and those are the people you would help ask, does this look like a good watch? Right? Does it look okay? Does it have the right dial? Uh, does it have all the right stuff? Is it worth it? And this is years ago. So watches didn't sell fast and they weren't as expensive. Right? They were way less. And so, you know, to me, uh, there was a certain small group of people that I would reach out to. And there was one of them was um, Nathaniel Sumner and John Field. Uh, they're both on Instagram. There's Sumner SDR and Beaumont Miller. Um, so it's, it's, you know, these folks and, and several others were ones I'd go to for advice. And I jokingly referred to them as the advisory board. I don't think I came up with that name, but that were, those were the people, the five or six or seven people. Uh, and we decided like all good internet nerds might, uh, to get together one year. And I was trying to come up with a name and, you know, you had passion meetups in Europe. You had these events in, you know, uh, the vintage Rolex asylum out, out in, in Asia. Um, and I jokingly thought, well, North America needs one. And so I call it the North American advisory board summit. 
And so that's NABS, which is complete nonsense. Uh, but that's but that's what we call it. And we've had, um, what is it, six of them? So we've had uh, Houston, Dallas, um, Milwaukee, Washington, D.C., Miami, uh, Indy, Indianapolis, then Miami. And uh, the next one's going to be back in Texas. So uh, hopefully we can have it, you know, with, with all of what's going on. But this seeking knowledge on the internet led to finding people who were friendly and knowledgeable that led to having a circle of trust, which led to having a, a meetup that was six or seven people and is now has grown. And is kind of a thing. People have written articles about it. Um, it's, it's kind of become real and I'm, I'm very proud of that. That's pretty exciting. That sounds, yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. I, um, I don't want, I mean, a lot of societies like that have kind of <laughs> special rites and rituals to them. Um, if I, pri- I, I don't want to pry, but is there initiation uh, ritual for you guys? Do you have to like uh, smash up an Invicta or set <laughs> an Apple Watch on fire or something? No, no. Uh, there's no there's no initiation, and I'll tell you that um, not everyone there is sort of a vintage Rolex collector either. It's there's many who appreciate it could be Jaeger, it could be uh, Galet, it could be, you know, Seiko, it could be whatever these things are. Now it's typically all vintage, right? There's some new stuff, but it's mainly old watches, right? Um, it could be, but it could be Patek Philippe. It could be Rolex, right? So it's a, um, most of these people though have a similar passion for diving into the details. That's really the thing that, that, that ties everyone together. Uh, and the next is hopefully I'm probably the most abrasive of the group, uh, but is don't be an asshole. Like I, as a group, right. There's no, there, there's no pretentiousness allowed. Um, and, and that may seem, you know, a little counter to what you see sometimes in the vintage world, but, uh, we just, we don't have time for it. Um, I don't. And so, um, you know, these people, it's funny, even though they live in different cities, you know, you, I spend so much time, you, know, you speak to some of them multiple times a week mm-hmm. and, um, they're great people. They're, that's one of the, I never thought that watches, you know, I bought again, like I said earlier, I bought that first Rolex out of vanity. I didn't buy it. So it was an accurate watch or because of the history or any of that stuff. I bought it because I thought that's what up and coming people should have. Um, I started to get in and respect and appreciate watchmaking. I also enjoyed the mechanics. I should say that because I'm a, I'm an amateur, uh, gunsmith as well. I'm not a hunter. I don't get into that, but I like the mechanics of, um, you know, the accuracy. So I was big into, um, all of that and, 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 and the accuracy of pistol shooting primarily, and then how to modify the pistol. And, and the, so I like the mechanics of it as well, which I I've grown to appreciate in, in watches, but, um, it, you know, it, it started with the outside appearance and then I kind of worked my way into the, the history and the mechanics. Um, so it, but overall it's been a great, it's been a great hobby and I'm very proud of the people that have sort of collected around it in my life. That's great. I mean, I guess one of the other questions, you know, I would kind of have is, you know, with that group and with the the wealth of knowledge amongst the various types of, of, of uh, brands seems like a really odd thing to talk about, but like uh, the different, you know, brands of watches, the different histories, you know, I guess, I think, you know, we've talked about this before a little bit, like what's the source that you would go to that, you know, if you're looking for a particular either Rolex or or I, I know you have some other friends who get into other things. I guess if, if you were looking for information on a vintage Rolex, I guess, who would you go to? I guess who's, who's your go-to guy or what's your go-to source, um, if you will? Yeah, I, I wish I had a, um, one place to send you or to send the listener. Um, I, I think that the best thing you can do, and again, I'm giving kind of a vintage Rolex answer. Um, cause that's the best I can give an answer for, uh, you know, figure out what you like first. And then there are people who have dedicated their part of their life 
to understanding the details of a particular type of Rolex watch. And so there's uh, a guy who I think he's still in Chicago who did one on uh, uh, 1675s, which is the GMT. Um, of all the dials and case variants. And there's another guy who did that years ago for the Sea Dweller, the 1665, the white and the red. Uh, that's doubleredseadweller.com. And I think the other one is 1675 Mad Dial. And for those that like subs, so the Submariner, uh, my great friend John Field has 5513 Mat Dial. And it's truly every version of that dial that's ever been made with high-res photos to tell you either based on serial number or, or dial composition or dial type or dial type font, you know, the, the font of the dial, the, all of that of, of what is the watch that you have. And then from that, you can then say, okay, well, is the watch I'm considering accurate to the best we know, right? Um, and Or is there one variant that I like more than the other? And so where do you go? Um be curious, um, you know, get good at searches, look at a lot of watches, go to watch meetups, uh, hold as many, especially vintage Rolex, hold them in person, see them in the daylight, um, understand the nuances of them if you're really interested. And then I would say, um, well, I'll get into sort of tips later, but, but that, where do I go? Um, you know, sometimes you may have to go on your own. There are certain things I'm researching now that there is no book for. There are expensive books you can buy. Some of those are five or six hundred or eight hundred dollars, even these, these vintage books that um, you know I could afford, but I don't. I I found errors in them, so I don't. I'm not going <laughs> to spend the money. Uh, <laughs> on, on them. So I think that that um, spend time on the on the forums, uh, spend time on on watch recon, searching reference numbers to, to see what's kind of out there. But, um, and also don't be afraid to reach out to people on Instagram or on the forums, right? So see who's commenting often on sea dwellers, let's say, and ask, they'll help you out. And if they don't, you know, you didn't lose anything anyway. So, I mean, you mentioned the, uh, where to go for, if, if you're in the need for knowledge about vintage Rolex, but like if someone's, if someone were to come to you and ask, you know, about a certain topic, what, what would you be? the most knowledgeable on and be able to be the most insightful on in general. Um, you know, vintage Submariners, um, from, you know, watches I have owned. So that, that, that 59, you know, 58, 59, um, up into the, the mid to late seventies. Now keep in mind, there's people that I know who, who are far better at, at that okay. knowledge than, than I am even, um, by far, but in most circles, I, I could, you know, I'm most interested in vintage subs. Um, and, and we're doing, uh, well, aside from that, uh, into vintage inserts. So there's the bezel and then there's the thing that snaps inside of that. As absurd as it sounds, there is an art to that. There are versions of that. Uh, there are period correctness that that is for each of those, and they're all unique. And I am um, probably most absurd about that. So, uh, what insert is period correct on a vintage sub? Is where is probably the closest thing uh, that that I would um, be kind of the guy that you would call. And as absurd as it sounds, it's actually a big, big deal. Well, and and uh, you have a, a little bit of a story about, isn't that on a, isn't there a little bit of a story about your big crown when it comes to the bezel and, uh, Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you may have hinted yeah. at this earlier. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So when I bought that, yeah. Um, so the, the in, inserts, especially old ones are, uh, can be very valuable and, some characteristics are more interesting than others. Uh, one thing I know one of you has a great, Evan, you've got a, a Black Bay 58. And uh, at 12 o'clock, you'll see a red triangle. And that's an homage to the originals, uh, specific to Rolex uh, and, and Tudor uh, had them. And so, uh, interestingly enough, uh, the Black Bay 58, it's because it's, it's called as much, 
because uh, in 1958 they had one, and it just so happens that the year of my big crown is 1958, <laughs> which also has a red triangle is out. Um, the insert. So there's the bezel, and the bezel has a channel. The channel then within the channel then sits the insert, and the bezel then rotates. You get the picture. When I bought it, mm-hmm. and I've never posted this, but when I bought it, the bezel was on upside down. So it's inverted. So it's a coin edge bezel. So up and down is roughly the same, but the channel only exists on one side. And it's a little bit different arrangement than what you'd see, but it's pretty similar to what your Black Bay is. And then on top of that rests this very rare and very expensive insert. (laughs) But it's on there. It's only held on by glue that's been added to the crystal. So the crystal is holding on the insert. Uh, when I got the plot. And so it's a, it sort of speaks to the originality or at least the, you know, the guy that owned the watch as the story goes and his son then sold it to this shop um, was, a, was a laborer. He wore it all the time. He wore it until it almost fell apart. In fact, he, uh, the, the, the clasp that was originally on it, they, it broke and they ran what may have been like a nail in through because uh, the pen came out. Uh, to, to, to fix the hinge. And so uh, this is extremely kind of a, a rare, you know, they'll say barn find, which I hate, but it was kind of an as found condition, which was, which was really special. So yeah, I had kind of forgotten about that, but yeah, this, this, this insert from 1958 is very valuable and it's being held on by the remnants of, you know, probably 40 year old super glue or whatever the hell was on. <laughs> it, 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 is it still being held on by that 40 year old super glue to this day? I mean, how super is this glue? It's good glue, uh, but no, it's long gone. It's actually now, I, we have no way to have a visual here, but uh, I've got, I just got a video today of it's, it's actually looking extremely impressive. Uh, so it's, it's all back together uh, and it's no more super glue. I actually found a, a new old stock vintage crystal to put on it. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. The sometimes the expense of this hobby (laughs) (laughs) uh, is, is beyond, you know, comprehension, at least for me. So yeah, anyway, it's, it's, it's all correct now. What was it a little daunting uh, coming back over the ocean, uh, knowing that the, this priceless bezel inserts held on by chemical means, no, no, no. I, I had a little pouch for it, and um, I had it in my. Um, I, I had a jacket on or a vest, and I had it. You know, I just kind of put it in there. And um, n- no, I mean the the more daunting thing is. Um, I probably shouldn't say that. Uh, having 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 that watch, uh, and then sort of you know you're 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 wearing your new watch back, right? Uh, and that's a little a little weird. Um, you know, you're, and I, I even wondered, I was like, wonder if this radium watch is going to set anything off. Like it's a radium dial, I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> which the radium itself isn't really that bad. It's the gas that it, as it breaks down, it produces radon gas, which is the same bad stuff that could be in your basement. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you don't, that's the dangerous part. The, 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 the radium on the dial itself, unless you're like eating it is actually not too bad. Like it's not gonna, really going to cause an issue, but. I kind of wondered. I'm like, wonder if they're going to detect this. I don't know. That's interesting. They didn't. Well, it, it's funny. Speaking of, of bezel inserts, um, any hot takes on the blueberry, the uh, the GMT? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, this is super controversial. Uh, I've never owned one. Um, I'll tell you that there are some that believe, and and I I believe the source. I won't say who it is, but but that they believe it was a service part that was available um, for some unknown reason. And that some of those inserts kind of walk their way out of a service center or may have been used in the time, you know, so there was, they, you saw some kind of in the, in the field, so to speak. And then, then a bunch of them kind of came available. There are a lot of fakes of them out there though. And so I think that there are some that were legitimate, like made by Rolex as a service part, but there's a lot of shitty ones out there that I think are probably <laughs> fake. And that's the majority of what you see. Um, I could be wrong. Uh, the The source is is a good one, um, but there's you know the only person who really knows is Rolex. 
And they don't say anything. <laughs> and they don't say anything, right? So I also would say, you know, I think there's some watches that, that you know, I recently I've got a, a watch that I worked to complete to make it period correct, which included a red triangle insert. It's a, the Eagle Beak. It's, a 50, it's the 5512. Um, so you spend a lot of time trying to make them, you know, as correct as you can. The, the, the amount of money you've got to spend up to, to, to own a blueberry versus a normal great 1675 is substantial. And I think unless you are a, a very accomplished collector and you're looking to add vintage Rolex piece number 27 or 42 <laughs> or that, that, that thinking about that is probably, I, I would recommend you spend your money someplace else. As beautiful as they are, I think the blue bezel is amazing. Love it. But the premium, the premium you have to pay, you could buy it. It could be your entire collection. Honestly, you can spend, it could be $20,000 more just to have a blueberry. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, let's say it's 10 grand. You can have a hell of a collection for 10 grand. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can have a hell of a collection for for half. I mean, depending on what you're buying, right? So, I'm not hot on it. Um, I think they look beautiful. I think there's some original ones out there, but most of them are shit. My opinion. So, this, this is just like a weird collector question, but like when it comes to dials, I know there are certain things stamped on them that you can kind of like tell if they're real or not. But when it comes to bezels, I'm not too knowledgeable on how you can like go about authenticating them so that would be my one leery thing since i'm like i have no idea when it comes to that kind of stuff so is there anything Dude, you can tell us it's it's scary uh there are <laughs> fakes, there are fakes out there that are getting very 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 close uh the good news is is that if you're a vintage person you you're going to spend a lot of time looking at, at very very absurd details yeah. you know i guess got done talking about guys that have cataloged every dial variation um you know, that level of detail also applies to the rest of the watch, typically. Um, and so they have a high-end macro, you know, there's, then there's a look. There's a look to these vintage uh, inserts. Yeah. And some of them have been chemically doctored. You know, you can, some, you can a lot of times you can tell. <laughs> like the other one that's out is, is, they say, oh, these fuchsia inserts. There's fuchsia. It's a real popular one you'll see. And some are saying, oh, they faded to this color. No, they didn't. They were that color when they were made. And the, some have faded a little bit, but somebody said, oh, this used to be red and blue, and now it's pink, and right? No, no, it's not. It was that way. There, was, there, there have been changes, even today. So even, even today, if you look at the new ceramic GMT. Oh, yeah, there's definitely different, different versions of that, if you will. <laughs> exactly, and I've seen people get mad and say, oh, that's bull. There's no difference. I've held them in my hand. I own these watches. I, I, I've there's a Mark One. I've got one. <laughs> a Mark Two. There's also a Mark Three. I've got one of those too. <laughs> like I mean, there's different. Like there's versions of these of these. So there are there are different chemical, different batches, different runs. And at the time this was all going on, you know, there were suppliers to Rolex too. So imagine you get a job order. It says make a thousand inserts. Well, depending on who's working that day. You know, may or, there there may be differences, but I also think they wanted. Um, you know, another good example mm -hmm. is um, look at the the Kermit, um, which is the the anniversary sub. There's differences in the font of those bezels. There's differences of the color in those bezels depending on the year, right? The the later ones are more like a a forest green. The early ones are more like a lime color, and there's you know multiple versions in between. So. The variation is exciting. The sad part now, I think of kind of the bird walk a little bit, is the the new watches. There's less variation, except for these different colors of, of the of the Pepsi. Um, that that's one. But I love that. I love the variety. Um, well, I, I think there's one other story that I wanted to make sure that we touched on. And you know, I I would say I know I don't want to get into bad deals too much, but the 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 watch. There was one story that I think at a previous conversation we had, you said uh, somebody's personal assistant may have sent it to you in less than appropriate oh. packaging. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and and this is this is, I, I'm proud of all the watches I've I've been able to 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 see, and and some of that's just watches my friends have owned, and and some of it's stuff I've been able to buy and own and experience. But at one point, I I bought a uh, a Daytona, a six two six five, and through the process, I got in contact with the owner, um, who who was extremely friendly. Uh, and, and a great guy, he's a great basketball player, uh, and, and really a gentleman, uh, it was JJ Reddick who, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm amazed at his longevity and the career he's had. And, and, um, you know, I'm not a big Duke fan, but, uh, you know, great, great guy. And so he and I were chatting and I bought this watch and I kind of paid, I, I paid probably more than I should have, not because it was from him, but because it was a good example. And so, He's like, yeah, I'm, I've got it here at the. He, so he was with the, the Clippers at the time, and I get the watch, and I was like, no, this can't be the watch. Like you're waiting for the package to arrive, like we all do. <laughs> and like the UPS guy has like this this envelope. It's like this bubble wrap envelope. I'm like what the fuck is this? Like this has to be, you know, something else, and. And uh, it was truly, if you went into FedEx and got an eight and a half by 11 bubble wrap plastic envelope and then dropped uh, a (laughs) $40,000 at the time watch (laughs) in it, sealed it and shipped it from the Los Angeles Clippers training facility (laughs) to Indianapolis and I get it, and I was like, "Oh, you know, <laughs> you know." For those that don't know, this is a, uh, a you know, thirty-six millimeter silver-dialed uh, plastic crystal acrylic crystal uh, watch, and um, <laughs> manual wind, fairly robust, you know, value movement, uh, but there's some some it's a little delicate and you can imagine if you can think of like the assembly line that this stuff goes through, yeah. you know, you see this, like these conveyor belts and shit getting thrown <laughs> in and off of trucks. And, oh my goodness. and I, so I get this watch and one of the hands, I think it was the, the, maybe the hour hand minute hand maybe was knocked loose. So it's, it's like, it's like spinning around. I'm like, Oh crap. So that had to be fixed. But other than that, it was actually okay. But that watch, funny enough, I kind of overpaid for it. I sold that watch. The market got really hot. And that's part of what helped pay for the, pay for the big crown, which is a story you heard earlier. And so um, it didn't pay for all of it. But um, I I think I probably doubled my money on that watch, wow. funny enough. Wow. Um Plus, you and, can you can save a lot if you ship with just a padded bubble mail. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's the hell of it. And I should have asked, but I was like, you know, JJ's been JJ's been on Hodinkee. He was the he was one of the first talking mm-hmm. watches. Mm-hmm. JJ and JJ's assistant should know how to ship a fucking watch. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, I, I you know, I I was gonna ask, and I was like. Mm, he's got this. Like it would be rude of me to make sure that he ships this thing correctly. <laughs> and so I didn't ask, and I should have, right? <laughs> um, so it's it's a. But I got it, and it was all good. But he. But it's sort of funny how this. Um, I don't know any famous people, but but two that I've kind of bumped into have all been around watches. Um, it's a bizarre thing, you know. It's this connective tissue the people that kind of in nabs are everything from uh, mechanics to, to lawyers, to, you know, doctors, uh, all different types of, of backgrounds. Um, and, and it's an interesting thing. There's a guy who owns a, a dry cleaning business, you know, a, a wood floor company, you know, like a, so it's, it's an interesting mix. And then I'm sure you get the, you know, get the same thing. I don't ask what everyone's occupation is, but the same kind of thing when you go to a red bar, it's not just one type of person who's into watches. And that's what's awesome too. Yeah. I think. I, I agree. 
Well, I do just kind of have, I think, you know, we're, we're at the hour mark, but I do just want to ask, there's one last question I want to get into. Um, and, you know, if you would give, if you could give advice to somebody who's interested in vintage Rolex and maybe considering, you know, making their first purchase, um, and you can use me as an example, not that I'm necessarily looking to make a purchase anytime soon, but I've always kind of liked the idea of a, of a birth year X, whether it's a date just or a, a Submariner. I really like the GMT master. Um, don't own a GMT watch yet. Really attracted to those. You know, if you were, if you were going to give somebody advice on, on what to look for and how to get started in the, what you, you described as a kind of a scary world of vintage Rolex, um, what would that be? Yeah, there, there's a couple transitional kind of points in, in vintage Rolex that I think are worth noting. Um, one, actually, I'll, I'll say three. One is a transition from an acrylic crystal to sapphire. The other is the shift from a, um, a tritium dial, tritium loom pots to white gold surround. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other is after it's white gold surround, some of those have uh, are tritium and others are luminova or super luminova. Right? So there's, there's kind of three overlapping qualifiers that you may use for vintage, right? Some may say it's not vintage unless it has plexi. Some may say it's not vintage unless it's uh, a matte dial. Um, you know, and some may say it's not vintage unless it's, unless it's tritium. And those are all, those are different kind of windows of time. So what do I mean? So for example, um, the sea dweller was a 1665 and then in roughly 81 or somewhere in there, it transitioned to the triple six, one, six, 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 zero. And the early ones were a matte dial. So more like a vintage watch. And the later ones were a white gold surround. It's a transitional watch. So Sapphire crystal on the top. And there's two different dials you could see in this, right? That's one. They were all tritium. So they all have the ability to change, um, to a nice, you know, patina, which is awesome. Um, the, each of those give you an opportunity. So an example you might see from my feed is I've got an old GMT, a 16700, which is a GMT Master, not the GMT Master mm-hmm. 2, but from about 1991. It's tritium. has a beautiful patina to it. It's got a sapphire crystal. There's white gold surrounds. So it's a little bit vintage, neo-vintage. Um, still a pretty good value. The example I gave earlier was a Sea Dweller. Another one might be a Submariner. So you're going to look at the, uh, in that window, uh, uh, you gave uh, a 16800, or there's also the 000. Um, and they were doing, they were changing the steel in that window of time, and they were changing um, uh, the elements of the dial. They were, you know, some were, they were the first quick set uh, watch on that so that was the other thing the other thing for the um the the an earlier gmt would have been oh it was a 1675 and then there was the 16750 which was the same watch basically but matte dial it was still acrylic but it was quick set so you have this window of time where they're changing they're adding features and they're adding stability to the watch right so um they're constantly innovating in this window so directly to your question that 86 window let's say um you know, one you might want to look into is a 16760, which is um, a wonderful GMT, only made in Coke, Ooh. so black and red. Uh, and so it's uh, that was the first one that had, had the first independently set uh, hour hand, which is the way that the watch still operates today. So when you go to set the day, you're going to pop it out, I think, twice. And rather than being a quick set, which is you just setting the time and then spinning, you know, popping it out, uh, once and then setting the date independently on the new ones, even today, and the 16760, the fat lady, Sophia Lorenz, what they also call it. Um, you you instead jump hour uh, on the hour hand. And so one rotation, two rotation, you know, will then change the day. So it's a little bit, it's mechanically a little different, but you can get that watch. It's white gold surround. Um, it's It's that sort of quick set, if you will but it's the, uh, the tritium 
you know, unless it's a service dial. So you can get a vintage look. And so that's what I would look into. The extremely long answer, but you see how even a basic question for, hey, I'm born in 86, what should I buy? There's a lot of things going on in that, in that period mm-hmm. of time. And um, being exposed to all of those allows you to make a better decision, right? And, and the other piece of advice I have is just look at as many of these things as, as you can and, and reach out to people who are knowledgeable on them um, and pay up. I would rather see you pay 10% more for an amazing one because you're going to keep this and the pain of the 10% more is going to fade and you're going to appreciate that, that better watch rather than one that's over polished or recut or, you know, fucked up somehow. You, I want to see, I want to see you overpay because that's going to pay itself mm-hmm. back. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's, that's, that's great advice um, for, for any of us looking at getting into that. Um, you know, Steve, this has been a, an absolutely fantastic conversation. I've, I've learned quite a bit. Um, and that isn't even why we, we had the, the conversation. It's just fun to, to meet somebody who has the experience of, of going through all this and can pass some of the knowledge. I won't call it expertise. I'll call it knowledge this time about your path through this and say, Thanks. hey, this is a place where you can start. This is where you can look, you know. It, it's just been it's been a it's a, it's been a fun conversation. We really really appreciate you coming on and being willing to share. Hey, you're very welcome. I've had a had a blast, and it's been great meeting all you guys. And I really, um, you know, you should you you should all aspire to have more important people than me on the show. <laughs> but in, in its infancy, in its infancy uh, I'm I'm happy to play uh, play a small role, and uh, I, I I like sharing this stuff. So. Uh, I hope it's been fun and entertaining. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. And uh, we'll see you all next week. So I hope everybody enjoyed that. And uh, stay tuned for episode 22 coming soon.